We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast. It is Thursday, May 6th. I'm your host, John McCackney, joined as always by Mario Puig. And we finally made it past the NFL draft, something that we'd been anticipating for months and months and looking forward to these guys finally getting their names called on the big stage. It all finally happened. It all went off without a hitch, all 259 picks, plus the undrafted guys. So a ton to get to today. Uh, Mario, we're going to get into a bit of best and worst from from just uh, overall picks and and how teams fared in this year's draft. And then, of course, we're going to spin it over to the fantasy angle of things, get into your rookie rankings for the 2020 uh, or 2021 season. Look how these guys fit into the redraft picture overall. We'll get to some dynasty maybe a little bit, but that'll be more of a focus next week. But Mario, kicking things off here. For looking at the first round, maybe maybe the first two days of the draft, what were some picks and what were some teams that, that you thought, first of all, did not do particularly well, in your opinion? Well, um, I don't think that many teams had good drafts. I think it's a handful of teams that actually did well this year. Everybody else is pretty much like a, a mix of bad picks and good picks. Usually I feel like you have a handful of teams that do actually well. And, and this year, I think it's pretty much just the Ravens, maybe the Panthers who actually did well throughout their entire drafts or, you know, most of their drafts. Anyway, first round picks that are weird to me include, uh, but are not limited to Kadarius Tony at 20th overall to the giants. Like he's an interesting player. The appeal is obvious enough. What's not obvious to me is how they think they're going to 
get enough production out of him for that pick to be worth it, especially when okay. they already have uh, Sterling Shepard running in the part of the field where Tony will need to run, unless they plan on like putting Slayton on the bench to have Tony run outside, which would be comical. I uh, I like Slayton, but it, for, for comedic purposes, I encourage the Giants to try that, see how it goes. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, we'll, we'll unpack uh, that further a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, a much better pick would have been, for instance, your Ravens taking uh, Rashad Bateman. Uh, but the Dave Gettleman's—I don't know if he was trying to be futuristic, you know, like they're they're trading back and and doing these things that Gettleman normally doesn't do. And maybe he right. was uh, maybe he was thinking like, all right, I'll be flashy for once, and then he just did it wrong anyway. <laughs> this is what the smart guys with the computers are doing, right? Yeah, like uh, the f- fast cars and and uh, all this loud music. That's that's what like maybe that's what he thought uh, analytics constituted or something, rather than you know math of some kind. And he just he just went with Tony, thinking it was like a concession of some kind, like a like some sort of what is that like an olive branch? I don't know what the right term is, but uh, yeah, it's it's it, it might be a case of a guy trying to do something and just doing it wrong. And uh, it'll maybe maybe if it fails, it'll it'll like alienate Gettleman for good from both uh, analytics, general math, and maybe even the forward pass. <laughs> we time will tell. Very excited to to see how that all shakes out in New York. Um, I I have a slight bit sliver of optimism, but but it hinges on something that that with the Darius Slayton thing. The, so we we'll get to that. A little bit later on when we're breaking down the, the rookies for redraft. I mean, looking elsewhere, this is something that, that you and I talked about a bit offline, but it, it feels like the Raiders have, at least under Mike Mayock, have zero sense of where other teams are valuing guys. So that it seems like every single year they will take a guy that it's not necessarily a terrible pick, but they're just reaching and, and not reading the room whatsoever. So a few years ago, they, they had all the draft capital in the world uh, with, with all those first round picks. Uh, I think, it, I guess it was 2018, 2019, that the Josh Jacobs uh, year, but they go ahead and they drafted, they drafted Cleveland Farrell in the fourth or with the fourth overall pick. And it's like that. Okay. He's a first round guy, but he's not a top five guy. And I, I felt like right. there was a similarity this year with the Alex Leatherwood selection where it's like Leatherwood probably a fine player, but you have Tevin Jenkins on on the board. You have some other guys that, that, um, you know, and this isn't just like you need to be beholden to, you know, guys like you and me's mock drafts, blah, blah, blah. But I I think as, as a general principle, people's people's big boards probably didn't have Leatherwood as a top 32, let alone top 40 type of selection. So for the Raiders to go, and say, nope, he's a top 20 pick for us. Kind of weird. Yeah, I was definitely, I've definitely vocalized criticism of, of Mike Mayock. And after hearing, reading some certain things, I've probably been too harsh on Mayock. It's probably been Gruden's fault. Uh, not to not to say like Mayock's making great picks or any other particular step of the, of the team managing process, but it kind of sounds like Gruden is running that team and he is completely just ignorant, lost, doesn't, doesn't know anything. There's, he doesn't know up from down at this point and it shows up in their drafting. If so, like Mayock, I never, I never agreed with his rankings, especially much when he was working for NFL network or whatever, but it is just mind boggling how bad that team has been managed. And in hindsight, I, I really do think it, it, Probably wasn't Mayock. Like Mayock, I'm sure did some things that I thought were bad ideas. But the, the really big 
bad ideas seem like they're from Gruden, who, who kind of has the veto power over at least the first round picks and, and maybe other things, including free agency, where they've done just as badly as they've done in the draft. But Leatherwood, it's one of those things like you hope the guy doesn't get stuck with unfair expectations or you hope he doesn't get blamed for Gruden's mismanagement. It's not, it's not his fault that they reached for him, but uh, he seems like he should be pretty good. Just uh, the, I don't, I don't know why they would have taken him there at the very least. They could have probably traded back, but maybe not. I, th- I think it was Jim Nagy or somebody was saying how like, actually all these other teams had him ranked 20th. And it's like, well, they're wrong too. That, yeah. that doesn't really, <laughs> doesn't really make it better, but whatever. Right. So I, that was a weird one. And then, um, I do a radio hit in in Louisiana every Tuesday, so love my Louisiana guys. And uh, they were they were like, "Give it to us straight, Johnny." Like, did the Saints just kind of biff this entire draft? And I'm I wasn't willing to say yes completely, but I I wasn't going to really soft toss it to them either. And and I think it started with you know I, I think the Ian Book pick is the funniest, of course, but. Um, Peyton Turner, what did you make of that? I mean, that, that was a name that I, I had heard, at least throughout the course of last week, was, was rising up boards. You know, he's a toolsy guy out of Houston, the really long arms. So, I mean, he's got so, some stuff to him. But it feels like they just made this pick um, two years ago with, or three years ago with, with Davenport. And they're, they're doing it again uh, here with, with Turner. What, what did you make of, of that selection in, in terms of like how that fit the Saints needs and, you know, the, the pick itself, if you're taking Turner over a guy, maybe like Aziz Ojolari. So I was caught off guard by the Turner pick. I, I definitely didn't expect it, but I actually think it's kind of okay. It's, it's just maybe a reach. It's hard to know, but I think Turner's prospect profile is actually pretty nice in my opinion. And it's, I think it's a little different from Davenport, both because they, they didn't have to trade up for Turner. Uh, they traded up to take Davenport and that definitely set them back a little bit, but also Davenport's almost more like uh, the guy that the other guy that the Ravens took in the first round, Obafe, uh, Obafe Owe, uh, mm-hmm. because Davenport was this guy who he was, he was kind of productive at UTSA, but I don't think anyone confused him for like, you know, DeMarcus Ware coming out of Troy or some other really great pass rusher from a small school. It was just like, this guy's really huge and fast and uh, it'll, it'll work out because he's so toolsy. Like, I think they convinced themselves that it was like a Jason Pierre Paul kind of deal, but uh, Davenport's been okay. He's not bad or anything, but the production wasn't really there quite the same way as it was with Turner. Like Turner was really productive at Houston and he's, he's kind of a different sort of athlete. Like he's, he's more like a strong side build uh, plenty athletic, but he's he's like kind of a bigger four three end by nowadays standards. So Turner's a little bit different. Like he's the kind of guy who almost maybe more like a Cam Jordan kind of end. Like they obviously have Cam there, but uh, just as, in terms of a guy who's kind of like over two eighty, but still really athletic, still a you know fifteen sack threat. Uh, not to put that expectation on Turner, it's just uh, he he produced well at Houston, and he's he's very much athletically a, a first round type. So um, it might have been a reach. But it, it, it almost might it almost might be kind of like if they had taken Trey Hendrickson in the first round out of Florida Atlantic instead mm-hmm. of the third. And uh, it's like people would have said, oh, my God, that's a terrible reach. What are you doing? And it kind of worked out because he's obviously he's, he's been very good for the Saints and the Bengals paid a lot to get him. But it, yep. they're kind of similar guys. And they're from smaller schools and they were ignored because they're from smaller schools. But when you look at their production in college and you look at, look at their athletic uh, workout numbers, 
like Hendrickson too was was really really athletic in his testing. So um, it, they might have just said like you know this this guy looks like Trey. Let's get him. Okay, fair enough. That that definitely tracks. So their other picks suck though. So you know, they're they're gonna they're gonna have fewer pass rushing opportunities than they think, perhaps. But here's one I came up with. Here's one I came up with for uh, for Ian Book joining that that uh, that quarterback room that also has Taysom Hill, the Book of Mormon. Huh? Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know Jameis Winston had a role in that one. Um, no, I, yeah. I, I, could, I couldn't shoehorn him in there. I'll have to figure out a better way to uh, sum up the trio. Yeah, uh, I want to say something, but I can't. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think uh, Book of Mormon, pretty good, uh, it, especially if, if we got, like, uh, Taysom Hill moved to receiver and Ian Book at quarterback. You can call their completed passes uh, the Book of Mormon. There it is. There it is. All right, let's get on over to some picks that we did like from from the first round. So I uh, felt like it it was hard to miss basically through the first six, seven selections. Um, that did you get? You got like for the first seven correct, if I remember right. Uh, maybe maybe um, the, the trade I had a trade up. Yeah. yeah. So the first seven picks were right in the order, but I didn't. I, I thought the charges. I, I heard from people who have sources that the Chargers were looking to move up for Sewell, but uh, the Lions, that surprised me. I actually don't really like that pick that much. Like Sewell, if, if anything, seems overqualified to me to be a right tackle because um, uh-huh. Taylor, Taylor Decker is so good at left tackle. But uh, right. anyway, yeah, I, thought, I thought the Chargers would, would have been worth their uh, whatever the price was to, to upgrade from Slater to Sewell, but well. It is what it is. But after that, um, the way that the board shook out, uh, what, what kind of stood out to you as, as picks that, that were that were good fits one way or the other, or are you just solid values? Well, I liked the J.C. Horn pick by the Panthers. I, I definitely didn't anticipate it exactly. Like it was, it was kind of like a one out of five thing in my mind, which of, of course was wrong. I, had, I thought he might have slipped a little bit because uh, – Pat Sertan was the guy who was supposed to be better in, in like zone coverages, which is to say he's like more versatile of a coverage guy than Horn, who's more of a straight up press man coverage kind of player. So I, I, I heard like that, that criticism of Horn and I thought it might've mattered. It ended up not mattering. And in hindsight, I think Carolina's reasoning is totally solid. It's a much better pick than like Derek Brown last year. That was the crap pick, but this is a really good one because uh, Phil Snow, I think also is, is a probably really good defensive coordinator. They had trash personnel, especially in the secondary last year. So they, they had really bad results. And I know some people thought uh, snow was part of the problem calling a lot of zone coverages and they were getting beaten these zone coverages. But if, if you can't run man coverage, you, you kind of have to run zone coverage or, or maybe you could just, you know, let the offense score whenever they want. Like those are your three choices and snow, couldn't run man coverage so that's what this pick is for it's like they're going to use they're going to use horn i think a lot like the way the bills use tradavius white like you're going to see him be in shadow man coverage a lot of press coverage and the other corners are going to be in a uh, some man coverage of course but like i think the other corners are going to get some zone looks that horn won't kind of the way that the the bills give like levi wallace a bunch of help and josh norman a bunch of help uh with with their safeties so <clears throat> Excuse me. I think Snow has a pretty good idea of what to do. He was he was pretty impressive at Baylor, certainly. 
So I think Horn's going to get that like Tredavious role where he's on the number one receiver every week. And then they kind of um, actually last year with snow, they didn't have like a set system. They changed it every week, pretty much based on the personnel they were going with, which I think is a good sign in a coach. Uh, and he would he would have like shadow coverage one week and then no shadows the next week. You know, if, if like Rasul Douglas was going against some big receiver, they'd say, OK, you're in shadow coverage against the big receiver. We know you can't cover the small, quick guys like K.J. Hamler, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he Snow looks smart. And I think he's I think he's going to get Horn is useful to him because he's he can be that shadow press guy no matter who they're going against. Like there's just not many kinds of receivers that a guy like Horn matches up poorly with. No, I don't think so either. And uh, this guy had horn to the Panthers in, in his first mock. Um, nice. So, got, but then my, my, my second mock, uh, I got a little um, belligerent with the uh, with all the smoke coming out Thursday that the Saints were going to make a big move. So I had the Saints moving up into the top 10. They were trying to. That wasn't just smoke. Like they just couldn't pull it off. Yeah, that that would have taken a ton. I mean, to, to move up from from what twenty eight, twenty nine, uh, that that would have been a, a a serious serious haul to to be giving up. Uh, but yeah, either way, um, I thought that the horn horn pick by by the Panthers made a ton of sense. I hate um, the Sertan pick. They didn't okay. need another corner. They already had no. Kyle they Fuller, they really did. Ronald didn't. Darby, Bryce Callahan, Ojemudia is probably not that bad as a fourth corner. And then they take Sertan. When Fangio already doesn't need good corners, like he he can do money ball stuff uh, basically everywhere, but especially in the secondary, he's just really good at that. And then they take Sertan to what play nickel corner? Like, are they going to cut Callahan? Callahan's really good. I, I don't really get it. Um, this is this is all the this is all the move to uh to get Rogers apparently. That he'll just well, be that part would... of that package. That would make it much more um, justifiable, certainly. But if they don't get Rodgers, it's just a crap pick, even if Sertan's <laughs> a good player. It's just, just ridiculous. Yes, not, not, not the best one. No, I, I think quarterback would have would have been the play there. Um, looking elsewhere, um, did you feel like Jameen Davis at 19 was a reach by Washington? Yeah, and maybe I'm missing something about this guy. Like, it sounds like he's he's kind of, like, in, inexperienced for the, the linebacker role that he played at Kentucky, and there's maybe some schematic explanations for why he made zero impact at or behind the line of scrimmage. But to me, this looks kind of like uh, – I don't know what kind of pick it might resemble, but it, it, it just reminds – it looks to me like a bad process. Like, it's, it's – uh, the theory that that Davis's value presupposes is is like uh, it makes enough sense. Like, oh, you you want a really good coverage linebacker? You want a linebacker who's fast and can shut down tight ends? And this guy's really good in coverage. And that's that's all true enough, I guess. But I I don't really see why Washington felt the need to take him there. And I I hate it when linebackers don't make tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Like it, it sounds. Like it sounds like it might be an exception in this case, but normally when a linebacker isn't making plays behind the line of scrimmage, he's slow to process and he's getting rocked by block by the lead blockers. So if you can't get to the behind the line of scrimmage to get to the ball carrier, I'm not convinced you can really play linebacker at all at the NFL. But uh, we'll see. And and if there's you know if there's a rawness excuse because of inexperience, then that's different. And and of course if the you know the, the more inexperienced a player is, the more leniency they get for whatever flaws they might have in their game. And, and Davis does at least, you know, the tools question is, is not a question. Like he, he definitely has all the athleticism, the frame, all that. So yeah, look at the we'll see. Maybe he's, 
Yeah, maybe he's, maybe he's the next Keith Bullock. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I really hate it when linebackers don't make plays behind the line of scrimmage. No, that that's a totally fair, fair critique. It, it made a little bit more sense in hindsight uh, once it came out as to why uh, Jeremuso, or Jeremiah Owusu Komorora was sliding it in the draft. So I thought that he would have made all the all the sense in the world to Washington. He's a better player. But yeah, yeah, he I mean, is. He's, he made he he anchored a really good. He was the best defender in a really good Notre Dame run defense, and he made plays behind the line of scrimmage, even though he's you know two hundred and twenty pounds. So yeah, Cor- yeah. Coromoa, Owusu Coromoa, I think would have been the better player even at nineteen. I I did too. Um, I, I I mocked that two times. Um, but but obviously he he slid for for reasons that that weren't uh, due to his skill set necessarily. Um, looking past the the or into the into the um into the twenties here. What were some of your favorite picks for, from uh, from say twenty one all the way to uh, the Bucks with Joe Tryon at thirty two? I kind of hate most of these picks except for <laughs> Bateman and Turner and Stokes. I, I I might be missing something with Stokes. Like I don't know how to scout cornerback play. I don't I don't know cornerback technique at all. But just going through the kind of rolodex of past corners that I can remember coming into the league, there has not, to my memory, been a guy who is built like Eric Stokes and tested the way he did that was anything other than very good in the NFL. Like I just or at least like any anybody who has his tools, who was on, who who was the best corner in a pass defense as productive as George's, had not failed in the NFL. Like I don't even. It's like D. Milliner is kind of the closest kind of thing I can mm-hmm. think of, and I'm pretty sure he he was more like a mid four four guy, not a low four one a uh, four three one kind of thing. And uh, you know, Stokes has really long arms too, so it's not a Kevin King case to me. Like that, obviously, he was a very athletic player, but he was. He was the kind of athleticism that isn't pertinent for corner play. Like he, they would look at his, uh, you know, like high jumping kind of stuff and things like that. Like these drills that just don't really pertain to football tests. And King mm-hmm. tested really well in a lot of those things. But for cornerback, you know, functional athleticism type things, he was only decent and uh, on a frame that's just too tall a hindrance to, to do cornerback tests. Stokes just looks prototypical to me, and and his athleticism. Uh, lines up with the the functions that I think he'll have in the NFL. So I think Stokes will be really good. I could be wrong. Some people, some people that I trust who are very much knowledgeable about schemes and technique and stuff are a little lower on Stokes, but uh, I think I'm going to fade them anyway, just kind of uh, just because I I can't remember a guy like him failing in the NFL. Uh, I even like, I'm not a fan of exactly of the Travis Etienne pick just because I think James Robinson is really good. And I think, um, I guess I want to mention a few things about this. You're going to see people talking about how, oh, you should have faded James Robinson. You should have traded James Robinson in Dynasty because no. undrafted undrafted running backs just don't stick in the NFL. They always, if you don't have draft capital, you're always going to get replaced. And it's like, that's totally missing the story here because that's not what happened at all. He could undrafted have, James guys Robinson don't run for a thousand yards. Well, I was going to say though, uh, James Robinson could have been a top five pick last year and Urban Meyer still would have took etn at this spot it wasn't his pedigree or his his being like uh you know handpicked by the regime that mattered it's that urban meyer is a speed fetishist he looked at james robinson and thought like i can't use this guy he's too slow so he took etn because etn is fast and i think etn is more or less worth that pick i, I mean I, I think he's pick i think etn is going to be awesome in that offense but urban meyer is an idiot 
for the fact that he doesn't know how to use a player like James Robinson. And don't get me wrong, like if they can't trade Robinson, if they don't get a good enough offer to move James Robinson, they're going to get to training camp and Urban's going to actually meet James Robinson and actually see him on the field in person. And he'll be like, oh, I guess I can see why this guy had uh, 1,300 yards or whatever last year and uh, a billion yards as as, uh, the sole ball carrier in Illinois State before that. And I I can see oh, he actually is pretty athletic. Like, he doesn't run in a straight line that fast, but, wow, he's our best dunker on the team, and he can uh, do all these these jukes, and he's he's got real burst from a power stance, things like that that do matter for running backs, even if uh, even if Urban Meyer thinks, you know, the best running back of all time is Dontre Wilson or whatever. It's just, it's just a, it's a stupid thing about Meyer, but it's something so stupid he won't be able to stand by it anymore once he sees James Robinson in person. Because, he he handpicked Carlos Hyde in free agency, you know, to be a backup. Right. But it's like you can't look at James Robinson and think I don't know what to do with this guy, and then look at Carlos Hyde and be like, oh, but he's good though. Like, that's, right, that's, right. That's too stupid for anybody, including Meyer. So um, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm like disturbed and disappointed that Meyer can't see why James Robinson is obviously a good starting running back in the NFL. But Travis Etienne will not embarrass him. Travis Etienne is going to torch. Yeah, yeah. So that that ends up being a good pick. It 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 just kind of creates a, a bit of a logjam for this year again, like you said. It, it, uh, unless uh, James Robinson were to get moved sometime this off season, but if it goes into the year with ETN, uh, Hyde, and Robinson, then you know th- this becomes a pretty big headache of a backfield potentially. We'll we'll unpack that uh, in a little bit, and then uh, sell me on the Bateman pick. Uh, I, maybe I'm just a little bit. Uh, wearing too much scar tissue from how the Ravens just completely whiff on their receivers in NFL drafts in the past. It feels like the best one they've ever drafted is Torrey Smith. So that's not great. Uh, although I'm not, not ready to give up on Marquise Brown just yet, yeah, but you know, the, Brown's good. He's just not a, he's not going to be a workhorse receiver. He's, no. he's, a, he's a home run guy, but I think uh, I don't get me wrong. I'm not optimistic that, Greg Roman will use Bateman the right way, but just the point blank question of how good he is. I I'm not even one of Bateman's biggest fans or anything. Like some of his biggest fans think he's going to be like next Jerry Rice or something. I don't really believe that, but I think he's pretty clearly good. I I can't quite figure out who I think he looks like, but I feel like he has too many clearly, you know, unambiguously really good traits for it to go poorly for him on his part the question is more like how many targets does he get especially in 2021 because I happen to believe Sammy Watkins can play football pretty well and I think Devin DuVernay is also good so I I think there's a lot of competition there Tylon Wallace I think is good probably not as good as Bateman but good enough that it's it's going to be a real headache to to distribute snaps and targets in this backfield so if if Roman does things the way he did last year, then some of these guys are just getting cut out of the picture and Bateman could be one of them. But if they get Boykin off the field and Sneed's already gone, obviously, then Watkins can kind of play outside at one spot. You can have Bateman, maybe Wallace, I don't know, outside at another spot. Uh, You can have Brown and DuVernay in the slot, Brown outside sometimes. There's, There's a lot of ammo there if they want to use it and if they start throwing the ball more or at least start running from more spread formations fewer two tight end stuff maybe maybe instead of having you know a lot of Boyle and Andrews 
and uh, Tomlinson or whatever on the field. They could just have Andrews be the inline guy, even though he's small, even though he's not a good blocker, because uh, they can run passes from that look too. And if the defense wants to rough up Andrews as a as a run blocker, then you you give them the play action, the bootleg, and you you get a nice forty yards out of it. And then they don't do it so much after that. And you can kind of just force the defense to put more speed on the field and try to spend less of its resources shutting down the run threat. And then if they do that, then they get beaten by the run threat. So there's there's ways that they could make this all work. And they should go to a three-wide base, in my opinion, even if it's tight splits, even if it's, uh, you know, obviously Andrews can get some of those wide receiver snaps and you can get Boyle on the field plenty too. But I think they should try to get a base offense where it's like Watkins, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I still think Duvernay's good. I, I don't admittedly see the way he gets onto the field so easily, but you know, he's, he's faster than Bateman at 20 pounds heavier, you know, and he's, he's so good after the catch. He's so good with the ball, doesn't drop passes. So particularly if the defense is spending a lot of time worrying about other things, I, I really think Duvernay can be a weapon, but uh, you know, some, some, some order of getting like Watkins, Bateman, Duvernay and Brown all over the, 600 snap mark i think would be a good thing i just there's no real evidence that the roman has it in mind you know it just doesn't doesn't seem like it's his that he would do that and then harbaugh too it doesn't seem like he wants to go to like a you know more pass oriented offense but lamar can throw the ball especially because lamar gets to play on easy mode when he throws the ball because the defense has to respect the run threat that he poses and if they don't then it's just auto touchdown so he gets Mm -hmm. to play on a lower difficulty and now that he has real weapons he can he can go back to that thirty six touchdown sort of deal if they give him the shot. Yeah, that that's where I'm interested because last year there was just nothing to really work with, you know, between the 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 COVID uh, stuff, you know, holding out several key players on, on that offense, um, and then you know just having to literally use what was left of Des Bryant, at, at, you know, for snaps. And, <sighs> that was and, discouraging, and, man. I mean, was it was just like, man, what is what is happening here? But but I think you know if if you don't dwell on it too much and you look at what's in store this year where they go out and they they get Sammy Watkins and then they go ahead and they draft both Rashad Bateman um, and Tylen Wallace in the draft I think that you know even if they they don't have the best track record of hitting with with these receivers I think they have enough guys to where the odds are in their favor that at least a couple of these guys you know step forward and somehow that you know this becomes a passing offense that I I don't know if it exactly resembles what, what 2019 looks like as far as its effectiveness and its efficiency and, you know, Lamar Jackson leading the league in touchdowns, but certainly one where it's, it's, you know, a non non viable part of the offense like it was a year ago. I don't know why it took me this long to have it occur to me, but they, sh- they can basically make the Brian Dable offense. If they try like the, the Buffalo offense from last year, they can make that because you can, you have so much speed, so much wide receiver threat, so much quarterback run threat that it the defense just can't compose itself. If like if you stay on script, the defense just never can get an advantage. It's like the defense can only win if you just have a bad day and miss your shots. But uh, yeah, if you put DuVernay and Brown on the field, the the safeties have to watch them. And when they're watching them, they're not watching Lamar as much. They're not watching Bateman, Andrews, Watkins, whoever it is. There's a lot of there's a lot of long range ammo uh, sitting there if, if Roman just picks it up. Yes, hopefully um, he will. And, and that this offense can 
kind of get a little bit closer to where it was uh, two years ago. Uh, before we get on to our rookie redraft rankings, a quick message uh, from our sponsors. All right, Mario, let's move on over. So you recently put out your rookie redraft rankings. Uh, th those were posted on Tuesday earlier this week. I want to start things off um, with a guy who, you know, basically – if you looked at, at all the um, all the teams and, and all the teams that were kind of going to be in the market for the fantasy relevant players, running back in Pittsburgh seemed to make a lot of sense. And Pittsburgh was going to be a place that boosted uh, the value of whoever landed there, especially if it was a running back. So that ended up being Najee Harris. He ends up being the first running back selected. ETN goes goes a pick after him. So in your mind, does does Harris uh, deserve to be the, the top uh, rated uh, rookie for, for redraft? For redraft, yeah. I, I'm a big ETN fan, and I'm more skeptical of Harris than most people probably, but he's going to get so much work. It's just going to be pretty difficult for ETN to catch up. Even in PPR, it'll probably be difficult for ETN to catch up this year. I do think it's more possible than people give uh, than more uh, more possible than people acknowledge that ETN outscores Harris this year, but it's to me kind of like a six out of ten thing that Harris places ahead of him. I assume for most people or for the broader public field, whatever, it's probably like 85, 90% out of 10 to them, uh, which I can see why they would say that. The the projected workloads are not even close. Like Harris no. will get probably upwards of like eight more carries per game maybe as yeah I, I think that he, i think that harris could realistically push for 300 touches as a rookie we, we saw six guys i know mccaffrey was out for most of last year but we had six guys go for 240 or more or more carries a year ago i think harris immediately gets that i think he gets at least 240 carries and i think he could push for 60 catches too yeah he could and so the 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 question then becomes like what is he going to do with these touches what's the efficiency and, mm -hmm. yeah and i think it's going to look a lot more like Lavian bell's rookie year than Lavian bell's good seasons in pittsburgh that rookie year he had like 3.5 yards per carry uh, right. i don't think it's going to be like a melvin gordon rookie year kind of low level efficiency like there there might be uh not that many touchdowns not zero but uh i wouldn't be i wouldn't be hoping for more than like I don't know, eight touchdowns from scrimmage for Harris. Like the Steelers offense has a lot of talent at receiver and Harris is probably pretty good, but that offensive line could really be a problem. I know it wasn't that good last year, but I think some of the metrics that indicated low level of play with Pouncey and Alejandro Villanueva are unable to take into account like how difficult Ben Roethlisberger made it on the whole offense. Like everybody's job gets harder because of that guy being out there and yeah. you, you put a better quarterback out there and they're not quite rushing you the same way. They're kind of doing, they're, they're spending more bandwidth on other concerns down the field, but Hey, he can't throw there. So we're just going to tee off on the offensive line. We're going to tee off on the underneath part of the field and we're not going to pay for any of it. And they didn't. So it's, not going to help in any case by making the offensive line more inexperienced and lower in talent generally. Like you don't, you don't fix the offensive line from last year by simply deleting Villanueva and Pouncey and saying like, that's better now. And that's pretty much what they're doing. And I, I doubt it'll work that well. So you talk about an offensive line going from maybe not so good to probably worse than it was already. And you talk about Roethlisberger 
don't know. He can't really get worse, but uh, I'm not. I'm not really seeing why he would get much better. And then the 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 whole deal with Harris, as far as like his prospect profile and like how good he is, is is something that I think is a little maybe off. Uh, like the narrative around him might be a little bit wrong. You see, just kind of like a uncritical reception of him. Like people just say, like, hey, he's got the draft capital. He's got all these numbers in college. That's it. That's all that matters. And I think it's, I think he's good. I think he's better than Josh Jacobs. I think he's better than, uh, I don't know, certainly better than like someone like David Montgomery, whoever, you know, some of the recent uh, faves of, of uh, you know, Dynasty, Twitter and whatever. But Harris is still going to be the first of his type if he is good. Like you hear people try to justify their high valuations of Harris by invoking uh, Steven Jackson, who was at least 11 pounds heavier and ran a 4.5540. Hand up. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh yeah. So, well, I, mean, I, de- I definitely like, I, made that comp too. He, he's like the closest thing to him, maybe, or at least in terms of good outcomes, he's the closest thing. But then uh, the most objectively similar athlete to Harris is probably someone like Ryan Nall. And I you know I how that Nall, sounds, though, to people. Like, I know how it though, sounds, but it's like Nall is a surprisingly good athlete, is the right. thing. And it's, it's just like, what has that gotten him? I, I know it's like a team could have. Maybe if he had the draft capital, he would have gotten a shot and he would have done as well as Harris is about to do. Maybe they're both good, but I don't see people grappling with these things. I, I don't see them addressing these concerns. And when they don't address it and then they say like, oh, that just doesn't matter. I'm, I'm not convinced. I mean, I, I don't, I'm ambiv- I'm like a little agnostic on Harris as a thing. Like I, I think he's good. I just get creeped out when people say he's good because he's like these other guys when he is not like the other guys. Like it, if if X is supposed to be true because of Y and Y is not true, then why do you why would you just accept the first part still? Like at the very least, it takes more digging, I think. And when you do more digging, I don't really see much in the way of reassurance. I mean, Harris was really productive, yes, but his build is unlike any player who's who's done well in a starting role in the NFL. It's like the closest thing is probably Latavius Murray. And Latavius Murray ran like a low four four. Harris doesn't. So if if he's not like that, he's not like Matt, he's not like Matt Forte who ran a four four four. He's not like Steven Jackson who was eleven pounds heavier and probably faster. So that's a lot of that's like a range there of fog where I can't tell what's going on in between. And when you when you just say like oh don't worry it's all fine it's like that's mm-hmm. not enough for me. And he he got all his production at Alabama behind probably the best offensive line in the country with two first round quarterbacks throwing to four first round receivers. Like safeties couldn't defend Najee Harris. Like they can't. They have to worry about those receivers. There's there's nothing that Harris saw at Alabama that he'll see in the NFL. It's just it's almost the exact opposite. And he might be good enough to withstand it anyway. But if he does, he will be the first of his type to do it. And it'll be you know in, in an offense that just I don't know. It's like it couldn't be further situationally from from where Alabama is. It's just trash quarterback trash offensive line the receivers are good still there's that part but uh tough defensive division and i i don't, I don't like i don't like all of that it, it makes me anxious yeah so it, i think it, it all kind of boils down to the to the question of you know that there there have been studies done uh you know lo- looking back through coming back through the metrics and you know a guy that finishes as an rb2 as a compiler doesn't always lead to like a, a like league winning fantasy success. Like if you don't have a high range of outcomes uh, on a given week, like if you're just consistently being the, the RB 16, that's not 
I mean, it's useful, but it's not going to help you win your league necessarily. And I think it's really fair to question whether Harris on a week to week basis can give you that home run hitting ability because of the things that you mentioned within his prospect profile. In addition to the fact that Roethlisberger cannot change, cannot stress the defense with the downfield passing game whatsoever. And the Steelers have the worst offensive line in football. So this, you know, this sets up as Harris, I, I might be slightly, or at least as optimistic as you on, on him, but I, I just think that we're, we're in a tougher situation than people are, are leading themselves to believe. And I think that we're in a situation where there's so much excitement about the projected workload that he's going to have. And, the you know, there, there is a big gulf that there's going to be between him and ETN as far as that projected workload goes. But, you know, if it's 3.7 yards per carry and like you said, if, it, if it's low touchdown volume, that's not awesome. Yeah, so Harris's workload is assured. I would probably disagree with most people as far as what they expect to, the output to be, but can't argue with the workload. And, and with that, there's you know quite a bit of currency, quite a bit of stability. Uh, he he, even if he has this bad season that we're thinking, it's it's going to be bad news more for the people who take him 15th overall than the people who take you, him 24th or something. He went 2.1 in, in the best ball that I fired up on Sunday. I don't want any of that. I mean, I, two day I, high. I know I won't. I won't have any Harris shares in redraft because I'm. I much prefer people like uh, like Clyde edwards Hilaire, who he's falling into like the third round kind of range. It's like, how the hell is that happening? We just we are not even a full year removed from. Uh, I think both of us were, were kind of like, why are you guys talking about Clyde Edwards Hilaire as a lock for the top five overall? Like, it, yeah, it, people are people are like, oh, it's a free square. He's a first round pick with a first round capital with uh, pass catching and he's Andy Reid, Pat Mahomes offense. It's like he's, he's I haven't a, watched anything, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like a 20 and a half year old rookie who's small and he can't uh, push the pile or anything. But yeah, yeah. so it's in any case, I just I, at the time it was like. He, he, there is more to it. He's not a free space and certainly at a top five price, but now he's going to be going in the third when he has less competition. Damian Williams is gone, gone, and Daryl Williams cannot play. There's no one who can compete with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from scrimmage in that offense, and people are acting like it's the opposite. That they, like the, People are drafting Edwards-Hilaire like they drafted his, his you know competition in the third round of the draft. There is no one there but Daryl Williams, and he cannot play. See, exactly. So, yeah, I do, I do like CEH. I did get him in the third of that very same best ball. So that that will be something I'm targeting um, a little bit more, um, you know, especially with, with that third round reversal, um, that sort of thing. So definitely like CEH. Um, looking at some of these other rookie running backs before we move on to, to another position, um, this is a, a group that I think it's kind of goes down as one of the least you can least useful rookie classes at running back that that I can think of in in recent years I mean ETN uh for as good as we think he is it's a muddy situation in Jacksonville at least as it currently stands and we we don't know what what Urban's going to do with this offense and there's some other <laughs> kind of jokesters that are big decision makers in this offense you know you got uh Brian Schottenheimer's there right so uh, that's not yeah he probably doesn't have any authority but uh Urban Meyer does and that guy's ugh, that guy's Nasty. Yeah. So even still, um, you know, so so that that is a concern in in one way or the other, at least for 2020. Uh, Javante Williams, the next running back off the board. Um, you know, 
what what is he going to do in Denver? Uh, Denver ran the ball a fair amount last year, but with uh, diminished returns. Um, you look at the, the fact that Juwan James just tore his Achilles yesterday away from the facility. That's a whole other can of worms. But you know, what, maybe this is a, a bad offensive line too. Uh, Melvin Gordon's still there, even though he's you know not particularly at his peak, at least at this stage. But you know, I don't know how useful Javante Williams is going to be for, for 2020. And then after that, I feel like you just you get into a range of pass catching running backs, and and that's about all about as good as you can expect. You know, guys like Kenny Gainwell or Michael Carter. Um, Michael Carter might might have room for a little bit more. And then you know, you have Trey Sermon going like I've seen as high as the top hundred picks recently. And that's concerning to me because I don't remember exactly when Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson were, were cut from this team. Yeah, so I, I think there's certain upside scenarios with both Javante Williams and Sermon, maybe a little bit with Carter, but I think his ceiling is more categorically limited just because he's like 5'8", 200, 455 kind of player. He's, he's quick. He, he really knows how to run with a football. He can catch a football. But with that kind of frame, he plays at a higher difficulty level than some other guys. Certainly, uh, someone even like Javante in the NFL, like he he wasn't better than Michael Carter at North Carolina, but he definitely projects better in the NFL. Uh, he he at least can plausibly carry more than you know fifteen touches from scrimmage each week. Whereas with Carter, you, you're maybe asking for trouble if you do that. So Javante, though, and. Uh, Sermon and especially Javante are probably not guys I'm going to have many shares of this year because the, the entire narrative around Javante Williams is just hysterical. Like people are not lucid anymore. They've completely lost their minds. They they can't have any perspective on anything. And I don't know why, but he was their Neo this year and they had to just make just preposterous hype statements about the guy. It's like first he's he's 220 pounds and he's Nick Chubb and you know setting aside that Nick Chubb is not 220. Uh he wasn't even 220. He's 212. He runs a 455 at 212. It's like Miles Sanders is two or was 211 at the combine. He's you mm-hmm. want to you're going to tell me that Javante Williams at a pound heavier is going to be this absolute brute of a power back in the NFL at at 212? No, he's not. He's going he's going to see some of those same tackle setups that he did when he was running against Miami or whatever it was, and instead of four uh, stooges just like just running into each other and, and bumbling all around him and missing and just, you know, sliding off of him. He's going to get tackled in that situation. And we went through this with David Montgomery already. Your high tackle rate is not helpful unless you are, you know, actually running away from the defense over and over and still doing it. Because if you're just breaking lots of tackles, you're just not running away from people. And in the NFL, a lot of those broken tackles are not going to be broken. Like, yeah, they're just Jonathan, like Jonathan Taylor will fumble less in the NFL because he can't break as many tackles in the NFL as he did at Wisconsin. Like it, if it, Jonathan Taylor is going to break fewer tackles in the NFL, then you can bet 212 pound four five five running Javante Williams isn't going to break many either. Like it, it, he didn't he's not a better power back projection in the NFL than even like Elijah Hood was. So he's going to have to make more of an elusive game. He's going to have to make more of a speed element. Because you can't play a power game at 212. You're just gonna you're gonna wear out. If if you if you manage to just show that power functionally, you will wear out physically, and you probably can't show that power in the first place because these guys don't tackle like the Miami defense did. So the the whole theory of how he's going to succeed was never uh, 
uh, fleshed out. It was all just fan fiction nonsense. And it's pretty much unfair to the guy. Like he still has some good stuff going for him, but not the things that they were saying. It's like, he's, he's got some shot, but he's just, uh, his workout numbers are the same as Kylan Hill, who is two pounds heavier than him, you know? And it's like, I think Kylan Hill would be good, but I'm not going to set him up for, you know, an unfair reception by saying, actually he's a freaking Clinton Portis. Uh, you know, it's just, people are just not keeping their heads on straight. And in Denver, like, I think Williams is good enough to produce from scrimmage, especially in a, you know, rotational role. But Melvin Gordon, uh, even if he's bad, they still have an incentive in giving him the ball quite a bit because if he has a good year, he might get a decent contract this offseason and they might get, like, a fifth-round pick out of it. And in the meantime, he he's probably not bad. He's just, he's just kind of like a bad free agent signing is, you know, not that great for the draft pick that the Chargers spent. But to another thing that people, the Javante, Javante super fans aren't keeping in mind is that Royce Freeman might not be a very good NFL back, but that should scare you about Javante Williams's prospects then because Royce Freeman is 17 pounds or was at the combine 17 pounds heavier than Javante Williams. And he still beat him in the 40 yard dash. And he had mm-hmm. totally good three. I've seen people say like, actually, Javante, Javante Williams' 40 time doesn't matter because he's got good three cone and three cone is quickness. That's it measures quickness. It's perfect. And he's got a good three cone. Like Royce had good three cone, 20 yard shuttle. It's not helping him. So if, if a guy can produce like Royce Freeman and run the way he does at a run faster than Javante Williams at almost 20 pounds heavier than Javante Williams and still not be good, then you should probably take less for granted uh, about what you're assuming with Javante Williams's production. Like he could, he could fail in the NFL. It's not a given that he's good just because a bunch of people said nonsense about him on the internet. And Royce Freeman was, was more productive too at, oh, at Oregon. Far. He was a Heisman guy, just total monster at Oregon, even as a true yeah, freshman. Like 3000 yard seasons from, from Royce and, and looked real good doing it. Um, so yeah, uh, a little bit uh, of caution there for, for the uh, Javante optimists there in Denver. Um, Again, uh, let's unpack the, the sermon thing a little bit. Real oh, quick. yeah. So he's interesting. I think uh, it's I can't tell if I believe that Josh Adams is pretty good or if I think Sermon's going to struggle in the NFL. But he's really similar objectively to Josh Adams. Like they're both too tall, more or less. And Sermon's not that tall at listed 6'1", 215, but he kind of just runs taller. Like he's he's very upright and he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't have he doesn't have much lean forward. He doesn't have much. Uh, squat to him like he's just kind of like a trap he's like running hurdles out there and that you know that worked for Eric Dickerson you know 40 years ago or whatever and you get you get, you let uh, Josh Adams or Trey Sermon into the open field and you do have a problem it's just that when you're that upright you need to have a lot of anchor strength or you tend to struggle to find that open field and your ability to run in the open field is a moot point like you don't you can't get out there so Maybe the Shanahan scheme can make Sermon productive. Like Shanahan can maybe scheme his his limitations to the periphery. Sure. He, you know, Jeff Wilson is not a great athlete, and he was really productive last year. Right. Uh, so, so maybe Shanahan could make Sermon or Adams both productive, and, and maybe that's exactly what will happen with Sermon. But in the meantime, I, I am not convinced he's more than an off-the-bench kind of like home run kind of guy, maybe like – a slower Jarius Norwood or something like that. I'm not convinced he can take on volume in the NFL and Raheem Mostert's not going anywhere. I don't know why. I don't know what people think. Like Kyle Shanahan's going to get out there and say like, I I'm mad that Mostert got hurt last year. So I don't want his seven yards of carry anymore. I, I'm just going to leave him on the bench. No, he's going to, he's going to run Mostert until he breaks again. And yep. that could very well happen, but that's, 
what's going to happen because you don't leave production like Mostert's on the bench. You don't do that. So uh, Mostert's going to take up something. Wilson, very well entrenched in the scheme by now. So he's he's not going to get pushed aside just because he's a formerly undrafted guy. And Wilson has some ability. He was super productive at North Texas. So uh, Sermon also needs to worry about probably not Wayne Gallman. I don't think Gallman's any good. But Elijah Mitchell in the sixth round is a lot like Raheem Mostert. So if, if, if Mostert does break, then maybe Mitchell just takes his place anyway and and kind of precludes the the upside scenario. And I don't, I don't really know. Uh, I'm not sure Shanahan has thought it out either. Maybe he just looks at it as like, I've got four or five guys. uh, Two of them are going to get hurt in training camp and then I'll figure it out. Um, Mm -hmm. Sermon, Sermon can make a big play. It's just, I don't know how much volume he can take, and I, I'm a little skeptical that his big playability will translate perfectly. It's not like he was Tevin Coleman at Indiana, you know? Okay, yeah, I could I could see that uh, with, with Sermon, and, and, you know, he has injury concerns uh, of his own, too. So, I mean, uh, there there's some carries that have been vacated from this offense for, from a year ago that he could pick up, but, you know, I don't think it's going to be a bankable enough workload on, on a week-to-week basis to where uh, Sermon – is really worth a top hundred pick at the, you don't, at the you very probably least. don't want any of those. You probably don't want to draft any of those 49er backs except in best ball. Like if you get, if you pick them up in free agency and redraft, that's, that's one thing. But uh, if you actually draft these guys, you're going to end up in weird spots with your weekly decision-making and your waiver pickups and things like that. And I personally don't really want to mess with any of it unless it's cheap. Nope. Um, let's go uh, with a couple more uh, running backs here. Um, Michael Carter, because the Jets kind of stood out as another team where if they go with a running back, that guy has to immediately be on, on your fantasy radar. Um, so Michael Carter goes to New York. You mentioned him in, in the Javante Williams breakdown, but anything to add as far as what he brings to the table in New York? Well, he definitely knows how to run with the football. He was, he was really productive throughout his whole North Carolina career. Started over Javante Williams. So I think Carter has skill. For me, the question is how much his athletic traits allow his skills to manifest in the NFL. And specifically with volume, it's hard to see much because he's right at just under 200 pounds. So in fantasy, he could still be useful, especially as like a flex play in PPR as long as he's getting all the passing down work with the Jets because if, if Michael Carter caught 55 passes this year I don't think that would really be shocking to anyone it's just that it probably would shock me if he had more than like I don't know 120 carries or something like that mm-hmm. so in PPR that's fine and especially in best ball when you don't have to guess right when he's going to have a workload spike uh that that could be useful I'm probably not going to be the person who picks him like I'm imagining uh, some of his enthusiasts will probably be a couple rounds ahead of me, but it's not because I want to fade the guy exactly. It's just uh, I'm, I see certain limitations that maybe some people don't. But uh, also, we has Carrion Johnson been picked up yet? I saw the. the I know. The, I just saw he got released. I don't know if anyone okay. scooped him yet. So we gotta keep in mind that there could be some more dominoes to fall yet. Like James Robinson could be traded. Ronald Jones could be traded. We don't know who's going to get cut. Like carry on was the first one, I guess, but there could be more. And someone like him, if he goes to the jets, then it's like, yeah, Carter's not seeing a hundred carries this year. And I don't even think carry on's that good. It's just, you get some replacement level guys in there and it's going to be hard for Carter to, to kick them out of the way. It's like they, 
all the other Jets running backs need to be just horrific for the Jets to be desperate enough to give Carter more than like 15 carries in a game. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Uh, Kenny Gainwell going to the Eagles. Let's say. Uh, so he's, I think he's basically the player that people wanted Boston Scott to be when they were, you know, going into last year, talking about Scott as a, you know, uh, flex type RB to like an equal to Miles Sanders or whatever. Uh, Gainwell is small, definitely 5'8", 200 or so. I actually like him more than Michael Carter as a prospect, though, because Gainwell has more speed. And I, I do think speed matters. Quickness is nice, but you you can't – like you can synthesize as an offense, as a scheme, quick areas of space for a running back. But to create lasting distance between defenders, you do need speed at some point. Or at, or at least you need to generate a, a lot of initial separation to have enough – to, to, to really pull away on a play. And I think Gainwell is more that guy than Carter, but you know, Boston Scott is still there in Philadelphia. He's not a bad player or anything. So Gainwell has more of a roadblock and, and Miles Sanders already profiles well for pass catcher. Or, I don't know. He was really, he was, he was He's terrible last year. as a pass catcher last year, but he was really good as a rookie. But now that I think back, he was mostly just catching like flats, tosses basically that rookie year and defenses were just double teaming Zach Ertz every play for some reason and no one was there to defend him and then last year they tried to defend him and then they just shut him down immediately so maybe Sanders is in line for a demotion as a pass catcher I don't know but Gainwell you know he, he caught so many passes and he did so well doing it and he did it in a way that Pollard didn't do Henderson definitely didn't do Gibson didn't do so I really think that there has to be skill with Gainwell like I just refuse to believe that Memphis all of a sudden uh, had had just the thought occur to them like what if we used Gainwell differently than all these other guys and I don't think it's the system I think it's got to be him so Mm -hmm. I think if he gets usage he'll be good but you know Sanders there Scott is there it's hard to take anything for granted he's more like a waiver wire player to monitor I guess Uh, or if you're in like a 30 round best ball maybe that's the kind of place where you really make a point of targeting him uh, but if, if you have to put him on a roster and you have to you know start players every week you're not realistically starting Gainwell in any game this year yeah could be could be tough could be tough for sure especially with the Boston Scott detail in there uh, you know him being established and being a pass catcher in the NFL um, although you know I, I do think that things are up for grabs uh, in on third down work because of how bad Sanders was at it a year ago. Yeah, there's Gainwell has a chance. I do not want to count that guy out. I, I think he will thrive if he gets an opportunity. Okay. Um, enough of these running backs for now, unless there's anyone else that they kind of should even be discussed on your redraft radar. Uh, I mean, uh, Ramondre Stevenson could be interesting if if the Patriots cut or move Sony Michelle. I don't think he can compete with D- Damian Harris. I happen to think Harris is good. Uh, Chuba Hubbard, he's just a handcuff for McCaffrey, but that's pretty intriguing given what happened with Mike Davis last year. Uh, otherwise, yes, I think it's just Elijah Mitchell because he could just be you know plug and play Mostert replacement. Yep, yep, low four threes from that guy. Really explosive production during his time. Uh, with Louisiana as a raging Cajun. Um, let's go talk to me about Kyle Pitts. Um, where do you think that he fits in, in the tight end pecking order now Now that the dust has settled and he's officially in Atlanta? Yeah, so he's really expensive, and I don't, I don't particularly expect m- myself to be the person who pays that price in most leagues, but 
Man, if I if I can't get some pits shares, I'm gonna be really anxious about it because I think he's going to be a monster right away, pretty much. I I think that uh, it's first of all, it's a huge mistake for anyone to be looking at pits and then thinking, how will Arthur Smith, uh, you know, make him work as a pass catcher if he's using him like Johnny Smith? Like the answer is he's not going to use him like Johnny Smith. They're not going to run anything like the Tennessee offense. Like they they're going to be a three wide base where uh, Pitts is lined up close to the line of scrimmage. So it kind of looks like a two tight end thing, but he's going to be the third receiver in that offense. Like Russell Gage is the fourth receiver. Uh, Hayden Hurst is going to, Hayden Hurst is going to be the Johnny Smith, uh, like a a more muted version of it, more, more blocking yet, or at least less pass catching than Johnny because Johnny is actually good and Hurst isn't. But it's, if you're looking at uh, Johnny Smith or like, anything in particular about the usage rates or the blocking rates in the Tennessee offense when Smith was there, it doesn't apply. They, they're going to run a, a pass-heavy offense with Matt Ryan because if they don't get 4,700 yards out of Ryan, they can't compete. But they probably can get 4,700 yards out of Matt Ryan, especially if Julio's healthy all year. I mean, putting Julio and Ridley on the field with Pitts lining up either in the slot or outside with Ridley in the slot – Worse quarterbacks than Matt Ryan would be in the 5,000 yard hunt with that personnel if it's on the field all year. Like uh, Russell Gage was a drain in past seasons. Uh, Olamide Zacchaeus, I think, could be good, but going from those two to Pitts is a total game changer. It, it changes the whole complexion of the offense and the defense that they're going against. And I'm, I'm not really sure there's much a defense can do about those particular three route runners at the same time. Yeah. So, I mean, there's just so much to work with for, for Matt Ryan. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'll i give the benefit of the doubt to, to Smith. I don't think that offense will look anything like the, the one in Tennessee. Uh, there's too much speed, too much outside athleticism. Um, but, you know, like, like you said, as far as Pitts, there is no discount anymore. Um, the, I think the the draft he's day price like is seventh or something. Like he's yeah, going he, really high. Yeah. So, I mean, it's if you're comfortable with that, then, then, then go for it. And, and again, you know, that if you, if you draft in volume, like, like Mario and I do, you know, don't, don't have an empty portfolio when it comes to Kyle Pitts, you got to get at least a couple shares, but um, you know, if you, if you got like one, one league that you do uh, maybe a little bit tougher to, to just get him in the seventh. It looks like in best ball tens since the draft, he's been going in the early seventh. So uh some people are taking him in the sixth, therefore, that's that's tough. I don't know if I can find the the courage for that, but, man, he, he's going to be awesome. And, and if you're looking – anybody who's talking about prior tight end precedent in the NFL is just kind of looking at the wrong thing. It, it doesn't matter yep. at all with him. Yep. And then uh, I want to touch on uh, one last thing. I, I know that we're le- we're kind of leaving receivers out today. We'll, we'll get to them next week because they're, they're basically worth their entire whole episode on their own. Um how are you approaching these quarterbacks for, for redraft? Well, I'm going to have a lot of Trevor Lawrence shares because people are crazy and they're letting them fall way too far in the draft. And people still, I think we've talked about this before, but people don't have a lucid grasp generally of what Trevor Lawrence is and like what he means for the NFL, what he, what he means as a prospect. You see people just kind of engaging him the same sort of hands-off way that they do most rookie top quarterbacks which is to say they they look at it like yeah he could be good there's you know there's there's all these nice things about it but any anything could happen a quarterback could be a bust well, most quarterbacks are a bust and it's like no Trevor Lawrence is not going to be a bust He's going to be one of the best quarterbacks ever 
and it'll probably be clear by his second or third season that this is the case. You can't you can't really compare Lawrence to anyone. He doesn't he doesn't resemble anyone. He just has kind of just create a player like maxed out everything. And mm-hmm. that includes his running ability, which is something in particular that people aren't grappling with. Like you you watch that guy run and like, I think I think he's pretty clearly like a mid four five, maybe even a low four five kind of runner. He wasn't he wasn't exactly outrunning uh whatever he was Denzel Ward wasn't on that Ohio State defense that he ran away from, but he ran away from that Ohio State defense. And yeah. Ohio State's defenses, even in their slowest years, are among the fastest in, in college football. So he he might not need to run a whole lot. Like it's I think it'll sooner be like a Mahomes thing where he he mostly just runs when no one's open. But if he does run, he can go 80 yards on a play. Like he's, he's not Lamar. Uh, no one is, but he's he's at least the rushing threat that Russell Wilson was, in my opinion. And it's it's like that isn't in the narrative at all. The the passing is is taking it taken as like a well, he might be bad because you know like Mitch Trubisky was bad. And it's like no, it's not like that. It's not like that at all. It's he's not going to be a bust. He is going to be uh, a league changing player in his rookie year. Like I, I think he will be in the Pro Bowl hunt as a rookie. And yep he runs for like 500 yards this year there's a real chance that he's in the top four or five at quarterback and i think he's generally going like 12th or something like that so mm-hmm. i might just like aside from um you know i'm gonna i'm gonna try to get some like kyler murray dak prescott justin herbert josh allen whenever the prices seem reasonable to me for, for my general roster rec- roster construction that i'm going for in the draft in question but if I don't get those guys that I know what I'm doing, I'm, I'm taking Lawrence and, you know, the late eighth or the ninth, wherever, if you're in it, uh, maybe I'll take him around earlier just to be safe. But uh, yeah, yeah. You got to. Yeah. The Trevor's Trevor Lawrence, hundred percent share guy right here. I, if that, if that's how it has to go, I, I think it's a better than most alternatives. Like I, I, I really think people are getting this one horrendously wrong. Yeah, I lately um, because there, there's just been kind of some discussion about uh, the need, and you know, we, we talked about this offline a little bit too. But um, the need to get, you know, a, a maybe maybe the cutoff for some people is the top eight quarterback, top ten, whatever. But but waiting on quarterback is not uh, the optimal strategy necessarily anymore. I think that you know it. Quarterback is deep in in one sense, but like the the top end is so much better than like guys twelve through fifteen that you need to go ahead and get one of those top QB ones. Uh, so I've been trying to get, like you said, I'm trying to target that tier or throw Lamar Jackson in there, and then try to grab Trevor oh, yeah. Lawrence as my as my second quarterback, um, and just kind of hope hope that the bye weeks line up right. Yeah, I haven't been able to get Lamar yet, but if I had to guess, I would say after Lawrence, my most owned quarterbacks would probably be like Lamar, Dak, and Stafford. Because Stafford, mm-hmm. I, I I like actually getting Stafford uh, and Lawrence back to back in that like eight nine kind of range in best ball. So if I don't yeah. get one of those big time thirty point threats, I want to get those two specifically. Yeah, that that definitely tracks. And then, uh, so it, in the best ball that I'm doing right now, I grab Dak Prescott, uh, and then I grab Trevor Lawrence. I think two rounds later, um, and then a little bit later on, yet I grab Justin Fields. What say you? So Fields is a guy that I have trouble figuring out because I I am I like him as a prospect. Like I think he was definitely like he should have been taken by uh, 
maybe the Falcons. Like, I love Pitts, but I, the, the Falcons are in trouble if they don't have, you know, I don't know how they're going to get a quarterback in the future. Like, I just, I don't really know what scenario there is. It's just kind of like they're stuck with Ryan now for better or worse. Which could be fine, but Fields at four would have made a lot of sense. Fields should have, at the latest, gone to the Broncos at nine. So I think he's good. I still have my concerns about it. Like, whereas, whereas I say with Lawrence, there's no chance that he's a bust. Fields is the more typical first round, you know, top 10 type of quarterback prospect in that he could be a bust. It's yeah. Uh, and of course, Lawrence could be a bust. Obviously I'm not, I don't, I don't believe it's like impossible. Truly. I just, I just, I'm pretty sure it isn't. Um, yeah. But with Fields, he has actual limitations in my opinion and not many, but the one there, there's basically one limitation that I see with Fields. And people talk that the narrative around him going into the draft was like, can he make his reads? Is he, is he getting through his reads? Well, does he know how to do that? And I think it's pretty clear he can get through his reads. I don't think that's an issue. And there's certainly no issue with intelligence. There's certainly no issue with his ability to throw the ball when he knows where he needs to put it. He can probably make a throw about as well as anybody, including long distance. So there's a lot of upside with that all being the case and him being a, you know, low four, four kind of runner quite pertinently for fantasy that that kind of speed will make you a dangerous rushing threat, even if you are bad in real life terms. But uh, if he does fail as a starter, I think, you know, being in Chicago is not the greatest starting point as far as that goes. I mean, their offensive historically line historically and, and otherwise. Yeah. Their offensive line's not great. And I, th- I think Matt Nagy's an okay coach, but he's definitely not a Shanahan Dable kind of guy who just makes it easy for his quarterback or, or you know, LaFleur or something he makes it or, or McVay. He makes it, you know, not as hard on his quarterbacks as some other coaches do, but that's still not great. He could he could do better than he does. So I don't think Fields is going to get nearly as much help as Trey Lance will in San Francisco, for instance. But the the question is, do, I think that that Fields probably starts at least twelve games. I'm not as convinced <laughs> of, of that with when it comes to Lance. I'm worried that Lance starts like. Eight games, but uh, I guess you know in the best ball you don't have to worry about if you draft either of those guys. You know you, you get their best weeks whenever they they happen. But um, I, I think over the course of the whole season, if they're on your redraft radar, I I would give the lean to Fields. I just think that he has a clearer path. I don't think Andy Dalton stands in his way the way that uh, Jimmy G does necessarily in San Francisco. I could be totally wrong, but that's how I view I'm, it. Yeah, I mean, I I think Garoppolo is worse than Dalton. I mean, I think they both suck, <laughs> but I think. I think because Shanahan can make a bad quarterback look better than they are, then that makes it more likely that Lance sees the field earlier, especially since Garoppolo already proved for three years that he's garbage. Like I can imagine, not that it matters, but I can imagine Nagy going in thinking like, all right, we'll try Dalton first. And if he, if he has a bad couple games, then we'll go to fields and I'll just kind of coast through the rest of the season on, you know, and into the next season on the promise of the next quarterback. And that could be a smart strategy for all I know. But uh, I just think that Lance has such a better playing situation. Like, I, I don't think he even needs to be good on his own part to be productive because Shanahan's scheme does so much of the lifting. With Fields, I think he'll have to actually be good. And I think he can be. It's just it's he's got a higher uh, slope to go up or, you know, a sharper slope to go up, I think, than, than Lance does. And to go back to Fields more generally, I think his limitation is not that he can't get through his reads. It's that he gets through his reads – and he just looks at the defense and doesn't pull the trigger when he needs to sometimes. And it might be like risk aversion. Uh, I don't think it's like he looks and doesn't understand what he's looking at. I think it's like he looks and he says, or, you know, in his brain, he's thinking like, 
I don't know if I should throw that one. And well, or, or like at, at Ohio State, you know, like a, a lot of the times he could just kind of wait for the home run from Garrett Wilson or, or Chris Olave to open up one way or the other. He didn't have to like always I, lock I in. Think like that's, I think that's a good play when that happens, but he had also a lot of plays where he would drop back and he would just kind of like pat the ball a couple times and then run. And yeah. I don't think and, – and more specifically, I think it happened – more often than is reasonable given how good his receivers were. Like, I think he, I, like there were basically throws where for where Justin Fields like passed on it and just ran the ball instead, where I think Lawrence would have threaded the needle or made the, you know, showed good anticipation and landed the, the, the perfect pass to the guy, even though he didn't look wide open when he threw the ball, it's like Fields needs the guy to look wide open before he pulls the trigger. And that That's reminds me of market. That reminds me of Marcus Mariota. And mm. I still think, though, that if, if you have like a Shanahan or McVeigh or a Dable kind of scheme where they they basically make the decisions for you with the structure, then when you're in a flowchart type offense instead of like an ambiguous one, Fields and Mariota both, in my opinion, would would put up big numbers. It's just they're, they're not like an Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes, where they where they have also that sort of, you know, that that sense that you can't really describe or quantify where they just kind of they know how to be ahead of things you know it's it's you right. can't really teach anyone that and if you don't have it then you need to do other things to account for it and so like it could be and, enough it could be enough there i mean like alan robinson is awesome so like maybe that's just enough maybe maybe fields having that much of a killer alpha receiver is enough to smooth it all over it's totally possible all right but but the way you see it you know with lance being where he is, that's a more advantageous spot, and it's hard to disagree with you there. Difficulty, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. That that definitely tracks. Um, I think that's going to do it uh, for this week's edition of the RotoWire NFL podcast. We will, of course, be back next week uh, talking more rookies, more more fallout and breakdown uh, from the NFL draft. We'll kind of steer our discussion over to the receivers, talking Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, uh, Rashad Bateman, Kadarius Toney. Uh, the list will go on. We'll, we'll really dive in uh, on the pass catchers uh, next week. But for Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try RotoWire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com